0: mm <laughs> Bye. Hey there, and welcome to Hit Like a Girl Pod, a community dedicated to lifting women's voices. While we continue to hit the trails, reconnecting with folks all around the country and collecting content for season six, we didn't want to leave our audience hanging. There are so many incredible women to share their expertise, so we're continuing our Lady Boss interview series with Kat McDavid as the host. In today's episode, she's chatting with Angela Ammons, CEO of Clinch Memorial Hospital. Okay, Kat, take it away.
1: Hi, I'm Kat McDavid and I have a very special Lady Boss guest here today. I have Angela Ammons. She is the CEO of Clinch Memorial Hospital in uh, in South Georgia. And I met Angela uh, through a, a, a Clubhouse encounter. For those of you who don't know Clubhouse, uh, it is a new social media app that has taken the world by storm. And I met her because I uh, was speaking to a gentleman named T. Faircloth, uh, who mentioned Angela and the great work that she's doing uh, in Georgia with her hospital and some of the amazing accomplishments that she has. So he hooked us up. I don't think we had any expectations, but I was blown away by her background, and I'm excited to talk to her today. So Angela, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Clinch Memorial Hospital.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me on, I'm Kat. I mean, I, I loved you since the first time I talked to you. We are kind of kindred of spirits or sisters in a lot of things. But um, I am as the CEO of Quench Memorial and have been here almost four years. Gosh, it just seems like yesterday. Um, we are a 25-bed critical access hospital located in rural um, part of Georgia. And so we provide a lot of um, care for those who uh, otherwise have to travel 45 minutes away. So um, my background is a registered nurse. So I um, have nursed for several years before I accepted this role. And I've worked for various healthcare systems, HCA, um, Memorial Satilla, a larger hospital on the coast of Georgia. So I've got a a pretty good background in healthcare and have been on the bottom end and now here. But uh, Clinch Memorial is a phenomenal hospital. And When I accepted the role, I knew that it was going to be a challenge. Um, Georgia hospitals had faced so many closures uh, over the last several years, and I knew that we were pending closure as well. And I remember being advised not to take the role because (laughs) people were afraid they were just going to use me as a scapegoat, and that would be the end of my career. But how many people, how many women in this industry get a chance to become a hospital administrator um, so I took the challenge and I wanted to prove to everyone that I could do it. Day That's one, awesome. day one, like by 10 o'clock, I was trying to take a goodie powder with the biggest cup of coffee that I possibly could. Cause I was like, I am on the TV show punk This really cannot be happening to me. The things that I'm hearing, the things that I am seeing, it's just a culture of people who really had not had a lot of, um, I guess, um, current oversight because Hummerville is a small town. It was a small hospital kind of off the radar. Uh, and uh, I think I was the first CEO in several years that had any healthcare background. Mm. So it was hard for some to uh, to handle. I remember being introduced by the interim CEO that day. And there were some people that refused to meet me.
1: Really? Were wow. my hand
2: and I was just I can't believe it I don't care if you're a Walmart greeter I don't care who you are I don't everybody deserves a hello or at least a how are you welcome to the club or whatever but right yeah, right I, and I just knew I was like oh my lord what did I
1: step into? What is going on here? You are in for a challenge. I I love that you you were advised against it, that that, that all signs were porting elsewhere. And you said, no, I'm going to lean into this and I'm going to do it. and I'm going to make it awesome. Yeah. One of the things that
2: I do, and a lot of people think it's a sign of failure or weakness, is I admit what I don't know. Or I admit what I am uncomfortable with knowing. So before I took the job or started the job, I researched um, high performing CEOs in healthcare, female CEOs. And I found one um, by the name of Robin Rao, who has done an, a tremendous job at Miller County Hospital. And after I had rounded through the hospital and i seen everything I need to see, I picked her the phone up and I cold called her. Mm. And through the grace of the Lord, she answered the phone and said, Robin, you don't know who I am, but I am an RN. I've taken my first CEO role in this hospital that I think is a is going to close any day. And I need to know if you'll be my mentor. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And, and I, apparently she said yes. Apparently she said yes. And if you ever Robin <laughs> around, she is a pistol. I mean, she's something from Boston. She put down the phone and she cussed a little bit. She picked the phone back up. And she goes, what do you need? <laughs> And from there, this relationship blossomed and it turned into our success and turning around. But, you know, the worst thing I can say is no, but I knew that I needed that help. And I'm so grateful that Robin was one of those women in leadership that did not mind saying, yes, I'll help you.
1: Oh my gosh. So so Angela I I love I I love the way you present yourself. I love that you say you don't know things. I think that's, that's one of my core companies is admitting that I don't know stuff too. So maybe that's why we got along. Yeah. Uh, but so so angela for 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 our our many many viewers uh angela and i met on a phone call and uh kind of immediately fell in love over 30 minutes and and i feel like i feel like we covered so much ground i feel like uh i mean we we talked about our backgrounds like our childhoods and just like you know, all kinds of things and and i and i love the mentor thing and i want to come back to that um but you also have i think an incredible professional background too right i mean you, you you shared with me um a story about you know even high school right and and then you're you're saying you became an rn but you don't you don't actually have a traditional high school degree right so um so talk to me talk to me about that because this is always something that people i think people get hung up on education and we talked about this in one of our previous episodes um but i think people really need to hear that those things don't necessarily limit you and you can still do amazing things and and go on different rides so if you wouldn't mind talking about that i would love it
2: Sure. You know, that has always intimidated me, meeting people who had these wonderful degrees, you know, Emory, Stanford, Harvard. I'm like, oh, my gosh, these people are so much smarter than I am. But I've learned that as long as you're honest and you work hard, that you can attain whatever you want. Um, so I am not the traditional CEO. I don't have that Harvard degree or um, advanced degree. I'm actually a high school dropout who at 15 dropped out of high school for um Various uh, reasons that I probably won't share today. It's a whole another story. But,
1: um,
2: <laughs> uh, and later Different on, episode. In life, yeah, later on in life, I um, went back and studied for my GED and obtained that. And then I was uh, found myself um, years later as a single mother and knew that I had to do better for my children and went to nursing school. Um, attained my associates and later attained my bachelor's. And when I took this job, I was almost finished with my master's degree in nursing, but mm-hmm. the work volume kind of took over. But recently I finished a healthcare care certificate program at Emory University. Mm. And I was just so proud of myself for doing that. And I was so intimidated. And I remember calling friends and said, do you think I'm smart enough to be in this class with all these Emory students who are here with their MBA? And they're like, of course, absolutely. But I think I looked like um, Race Witherspoon in the first day of school in Legally <laughs> Blonde. Do you remember that movie? <laughs> her outfit. She's sitting there with her fuzzy pen and so excited um, to be in class and she just totally wasn't prepared. So
1: this is what I look like. Oh, so Angela, what's so amazing about what you're saying is that is like classic imposter syndrome, right? You are a hospital CEO. You have turned around this organization and you are intimidated in, in, in a classroom setting, right? Like you're like, oh, I'm not smart enough, right? It's amazing. Um, but I, so tell me how you deal with that because you brought that up before, right? Yes.
2: And with every negative thing, I try to shut myself up and say, Angela, there are people like you. They put your pants on just like (laughs) you do. You know, they like the same foods. They're worried about their weight. What's going on here? But I am so glad that I took this class because I built this network of people who were so nice and there were scientists and COOs and physicians and we all laughed. And um, they said that I gave them some great insight to think about and they encouraged me to go on and finish my MBA. So uh, I'm just so glad I did it. And I think fear holds us back so Mm. many times from trying new things. And I would just encourage anybody to step past that comfort zone and, uh, and try something even though you're terrified and I was terrified right I stumbling I had all my notes and everybody just seemed so calm and poised and I had highlighted every piece of reading material like I was just ready ready and I bombed a couple of times it was like one time I was taking a finance class and the professor asked me a question I already told him I said I don't have this finance degree I'm just in the certificate program and he called on me in front of everybody and I said my CFO usually handles that thank you (laughs) (laughs)
1: I, appreciate that. <laughs> I thought, You know, it's like learning your strengths and weaknesses, outsourcing. Right? You're just demonstrating yeah. all the skills of, of leadership. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. <laughs> now, for all of my children,
2: never, ever would I want them to take the same path that I did. Mm. You're going to college, you're doing this. I'll do everything I can to support you. College, that time will pass by anyway. But when it passes by, you'll have your degree and then mm. have fun. So I constantly stress that to everyone else but it hasn't been easy um it's been hard but I think the street smarts Mm. that I picked up along the way because you know there are some times in my life where I was homeless and um incredible you know other people's generosity and charity and um struggled a bit um to help me be a little bit more intuitive to Mm. some people because I was exposed to um various things but just work hard. Show up like you're supposed to. We have so many people graduating there, like in their early 20s with MHA degrees and MBAs. And I remember in an interview, I said, what is it that you think you can offer us? And he said, I am here to take over. I was like, are you still on your mother's insurance plan? <laughs> 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 to the care like, oh, so many people come in the doors you owe me what can you give me and I, the key to true success is you showing up and you showing saying let me show you what I can do for you mm. let me work hard for you let me um take on these things and um realizing that no one owes us anything I mean, really, above minimum right. wage. I mean, that's the basic requirements and everything else is a benefit. Hmm. But there's so many people that just automatically show up and go, I have a degree, so I'm ready. No, no. There's a lot of real world experiences that will help you become ready. But there's a lot of failures, a lot of bombs, a lot of things that you wish you could just erase. Yep. <laughs> like, well, yep. That never happened. Thank God that's sealed and you can't open that up. But you know... Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll we'll just cruise past that. We'll cruise past that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's just a joke. Um, but uh, just working hard, and my kids all have a great work ethic. And mm. I've always required them to get a job um, as a teenager. And you know, whether it's was washing dishes, waiting tables, a, a camp counselor, I told them you'll be the first to show up. You will not call in unless you're dying. Mm. and you're going to do the best job there. And every single one of my kids have always been called back um, by their employers. Anytime you want a job, you've got it.
1: Right, right. I love that.
2: And I believe that it's prepared them for their college careers and so forth. So.
1: Yeah, no, I I am hundred percent with you on on the showing up and hard work. I was uh, raised on a farm, uh, and and same type of thing. Like you, you will always have a job. And when 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 the grocery store where you're working with your sister calls and says that they need people, that my parents would pick up the phone and just say, oh yeah, they'll be there. Like there was never there, you didn't have you didn't have an option, right? And I think um, and my grandma, who I talk about often, always told me that uh, people would hire me because they knew I was raised on a farm and they knew I could work hard, right? But actually, like I mean, not of that's totally true. But like, I think that like grit and, and you just, that's just a part of how you grew up. I think, that, I think that that is some of the most meaningful soft skills that, that you can have. And when I interview people, I, I always look for stuff like that. So I, I'm 100% on board with what you're saying. Yeah, and dedication and in the healthcare world, you know, it's
2: great to be an RN because your job can change so much. But we hardly have any RNs to actually plant roots and stay here. Mm-hmm. And It's such a difficult thing for us to constantly staff you know, it's not good for patient outcomes. It's not good for, um, the morale of the team and so forth. And, you know, people got to realize stop chasing that greener grass. I mean, there is a season for everything and that grass will eventually die and turn brown over there too, but it comes back. I mean, it does. And, and, um, people just are not comfortable with conflict and it has not been an easy road for me here. I mean, you know, when I took this position, I faced a lot of criticism from what I thought were my friends, hmm. my acquaintances. Um, I heard through the grapevine, and some were even so bold to tell me to your face, what qualifies you for this job? I'm hmm. just as qualified as you are. Or, um, and, uh, so you think you're better than this? No. I was offered this position, and I took it. Right. And if it had been this gold brick, yellow <laughs> yellow brick road, like in Oz, I think there would be so many people would do it more. But there are so many times that I left this facility in tears on the way home wondering what have I done? You know, do I have what it takes to save this hospital? Mm -hmm. I can't believe people are treating me like this. And uh, for an example, there's a, there was someone in the um, community as a provider who is very well known and um, had a lot to do with the hospital and actually saw patients here and, very uncomfortable situations. He was just allowed to act and speak however he wanted. And I remember I was in a um, CQI meeting, which is a continuous improvement meeting that we have. It's a continuous quality improvement meeting. And at the end of the meeting, he says, I think our next performance improvement should be to reduce Mrs. Ammons' BMI because she is not obese. She looks clinically, you know, she's clinically obese. And 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 what happened? Because that sounds like a fireable offense. I know, but he was not—he's not employed and unemployed. And mm. I just remember, and this was like a series of other times when these conversations have happened. And and I've grown a lot, both professionally and personally. Here now, if it had been mm. the fifteen-year-old street rat that I was, I probably would have gotten punched him in his throat. <laughs> <like years ago. laughs> but I've learned that in order to win the war, you have to choose your battles. And sometimes the most quiet person in the room is the smartest. Mm. And sometimes hurting people hurt people. And so I made it a point then to pay kindness whenever it was um, sent to me, even though I made some pointed um, meetings or decisions to say, listen, we can't continue to do this. This is just not acceptable. It's not appropriate. Uh, I don't know who else you've been talking to like this, but it's just not acceptable. And I remember getting a phone call AA, hey, hey, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. What can I help you with? Are you still fat? And then the phone hanging up. <laughs> and, just, and you know, this culture that had been created said this is okay, and it's right. not okay. And you know when I get so much pushback from the community because I'm an outsider, I'm not from here. Um, I'm my family's not well known. I wasn't born in the county and so forth. There's just. They just don't understand the day-to-day sacrifices that people like us make to make this hospital a success, to make your company a success, mm-hmm. it more than just me. If it was just all about me and someone is slinging uh, offensive things to me, then I would just pack and go home. Right. There 150 plus employees who need me to stay here to run this hospital. I've got patients we see every single day that need me to make sure that we are here running this very well. So you know, at the end of the day, I had to decide whether I'm going to fight this battle today, or I'm just going to wait and win the war. Mm-hmm. And we were in the war. So um, a while back, I kept a little book like this. This is probably the second book. But every time there was an insult hurled or um, this person said anything, I would write something positive about them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I can be reminded there is goodness in everybody.
1: Listen, Angela, I need to take some pointers from you because this is different <laughs> than, than, my, than my list, than my list, <laughs> yeah. right? It's different.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, 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 I knew, and I knew, regardless of the conflict that we had, that we can only be a success if we learn how to work together. Mm-hmm. Now, three years later, we have an amicable relationship. Um, Those kind of conversations no longer happen. Um, I've reached out to him for help during the pandemic and him vice versa. And we've helped each other. We've come together. But if I had just halted what I was doing because of that one criticism Mm. or the attack from this one person, where would we be today? So I, I think my childhood and my upbringing helped create a resiliency where some of those things, I'm just like, is that all you got?
1: Because I see much worse. <laughs> I, I I love this. I love this for like a lot of personal reasons, I, I think I I will get very caught up in in um, you know someone someone did this you know and like you're saying you just want to throw punch them right right or you know figuratively right. <laughs> but you know and 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 but you're right. It does it does halt your progress, right? You are spending all of your energy on wanting to to deal with that problem, and you lose sight of the bigger goal, which is unfortunate right like again it always comes back like you shouldn't have to do that right you shouldn't have to even deal with the situation but we do so how do we react i i love how you're responding to it yeah and i was like i am trying to save this hospital
2: and i'm having to put up with this and so um uh whenever i'm dealing with an unhappy employee i'm like look i'm doing all that i can for you i just need it back for me I mean, there right. are so many sacrifices you may not know that I have personally made to make this hospital a success. Believe me, I am on your team. Mm. And a lot of people don't know how to take me because I leave the sugar and the honey and please out a lot because I don't have time for that. <laughs> I mean, I'm the most forgiving person you will ever meet. Like people can wrong me so many times. I'm like, it's okay. Because mm. I believe that grace goes so far and we should extend it as often as we can. But um, I have a strong personality. And a lot of people don't know how to take that. And I remember when they were renewing my contract here, the attorney who is a friend of the person we spoke of earlier, tried to write in a clause in the contract that if I offended this person, that would be cause for termination for my employment here. <laughs> strong personality. And he's like, you know, she has a very strong personality. But if I had been a man in this role, She's a, he's a take charge kind of guy. That's
1: right. That is always how it is, you know,
2: and then when um, we have to take care of business, we're difficult.
1: Right, and, right.
2: And they're always looking at men because they wear the pants. But guess what? Women wear pants and a skirt, and we look great in both.
1: Yeah, in heels. Walk backwards. Yeah, <laughs> men can't
2: wear skirts and look great, <laughs> but we can wear both and do, still do our jobs.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're totally. You're saying so many things here that I think are like totally like hitting hitting the right note. I, I think that you're right, I and mean, there are studies out, tons of studies out there saying that yeah, women are often perceived as aggressive, and uh, if men say the same things and with the same tone, they are perceived as in charge. And, uh, you know, that's great. Everything's great. And I, it, it is a challenge. And I face that in my my career as well. That, like, you know, I've been told often I have a strong personality or I'm a tall cup of coffee or whatever you want to call it. Um, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm still speaking less than my male counterparts. Right. And I'm, I'm still I'm still not as nearly as aggressive as they are. And, and it's perceived uh, much differently. And it's hard. Right. And it's hard. And I, for me, the, the thing that I've learned is, you know, may, or maybe not learned, but the thing that I have decided uh, and maybe it's maybe it's not everyone's truth is that I think things will change. They will change slow, slow, more slowly than I want, but they will change.
2: Yes, and they are. And, you know, three years or almost four years now, we have a great relationship with everyone on our team. Mm-hmm. Um, born in Trinity, because we realize that time does prove what you're trying to do in your efforts. Um, we've turned the hospital around. My team is excellent. Uh, I've made sure that I hired everybody that was smarter than me in all the different areas. Smart. Um, And um, they work very hard, and they um, embrace the vision that I have for our hospital in this county. And it's so hard. It's so hard for critical access hospitals anywhere in the United States to try to survive because we don't have that backup of being well-known like Wellstar, HCA, Navicent, and so forth. So, you know, we have to try to find ingenious ways to survive.
1: Yeah, uh, so let's so let's talk about that because i think the the turnaround story uh, of your hospital is actually phenomenal right you're, you're saying it was it was on the verge of closure right when you took over and and you came into it sounds like a, a pretty hostile environment and 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 dealt with a lot of a lot of really serious issues personally while, while you were early in your leadership career so your leadership position um so, so tell, just tell me about what you did there, because I actually I love how you you seem to look at this from a different perspective. And maybe the fact that you were an outsider actually became a benefit. So I'd love for you to just tell everyone how, how you did that and, and, and the awesome results that you have right now.
2: For the hospital's um, success, it was a benefit because I did not have the emotional and personal ties the people in the organization. And there are some great people that have worked here. People that would give you the shirt off their backs were so kind, but maybe they're just not the appropriate person for the position that they were holding. And it's hard for someone who has to sit next to that person at the church pew on Sunday or that their mother taught your child in order for you to make those hard decisions. Because at the end of the day, my obligation is to the taxpayers of this county and to my board. Mm-hmm. And to the employees to make sure that we have um, a viable hospital for them to be employed in, not for me to continue to make friends
1: or mm-hmm. to keep friends.
2: So, um I had to have some very direct conversations, which a lot of people took me as a bulldog, but it's not. Sometimes when you speak the truth, it's harsh. And you can say it in the nicest way, and it's still received as something being uh, very harsh. Mm-hmm. So I remember my second board meeting ever. Here at the hospital, second board meeting, our auditors coming in and delivering the news that due to multi-million dollar losses, we were going to close unless we did something differently.
1: Hmm.
2: And I said, oh, my God, I should have listened. I should have never accepted this job. I'm going to be the scapegoat. Hospital closes because of our intern CEO. I was like, what in the world have I done? But then I went home and I said, this will never happen. Mm. we're not going to close those people need me and this town needs me to make sure this hospital stays open so my mentor Robin Rao, and I um, that relationship and the business plan and the ideas she shared with me has allowed us to keep this hospital open we went from a very small net revenue of a service line $730,000 a year which is nothing or a million dollars a month to pay our bills to after implementing a new program, 18 months later, $5.6 million in revenue. Wow, huge! Yes, yeah, and it took a lot of work. It took um, work from my CNO, my um, director of nursing, to say, Okay, we're going to start taking care of patients that we have never taken care of before. Our average daily census was 2.3, two patients wow. in a day. That can walk and talk and um, pretty much feed themselves. So there was not a lot of work. Literally, when I first started here, I would go around to the nurse's station and people were twiddling their thumbs. Hmm. They were watching Netflix, they were reading books. So it's very hard for people to understand that when we started getting all these patients in, oh, I do have to work. i 12 hours today. This is a little bit harder than I signed up for. But three years later, we had an FTE growth by about 40 people. Oh. We've upgraded our um, infrastructure and IT. We've uh, bought new equipment. Um, we are expanding services. We are able to hire our own physicians. So that work back then that people thought, this is just too much. We can't do this, led to the success. And it really helped us be prepared for the pandemic. Because we started a ventilator program for long-term mm. patients with our own traits. Remember, going from patients that could walk and talk to Patients on ventilators with right. who are paralyzed, who needed such more extensive services we offered. But when the pandemic hit and people are in need of ventilators and didn't know how to take care of these um, patients who were ending up on vents from COVID, we were prepared. Right, right, right. And little yeah. did we know that this innovation or this new service line was going to prepare us for a pandemic a year later. And um, it was very hard. Um, in nursing school, you take a class about triage and you know, you're on a desert island and the boat comes, you can only save five people. Who is it? Really? And I used to scoff at that because I'm like, there's no way, there's always gonna be enough in healthcare, we're gonna save everybody. Well, during this pandemic time, there were days that we literally had to choose who got a bed. Mm. And, you know, we as a critical access hospital do not have intensive care units.
1: Right, and right. There are
2: days, multiple days on end that we called hospitals in five states and we could not get our critically ill patients out. Wow. So my team, innovation and hard work pulled together, created an ICU within a few days. Really? And wow. And we took care of these patients to the best we could. It was very scary. And there were some days when we would get a, finally get a call from a tertiary hospital and say, we have one bed. Who are you going to send? And we wow. had a use that day, who they're gonna send. So working hard, trying something new, taking a huge risk because it was a lot of capital investment up front too. And my board really didn't fully understand what we were doing, to where it has turned our hospital around, it prepared us for something that we never thought we would have to see in our lifetime. But um I I can't take the credit. I mean I have a great staff who work hard who worked sometimes 24 hours to take care of these patients and to uh, make sure we have the policies and the protocols in place. And, you know, four years ago, we would have never been able to handle, handle the pandemic. We'd probably be closed. Right. And the tertiary hospitals around us um, diverted. They went on diversion and we can't take any more patients. We didn't. And we had ambulances backed up from several counties over my small critical access hospital was holding the line. And I can't imagine what the surge of patients would have looked like in the tertiary facilities if we had not had these small rural hospitals doing all that we can with the small resources that we had. Right. So I applaud the team here. I applaud every critical access and rural hospital there is, and we really need to do more to make sure that they stay open and they remain viable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I know, I know. We. I would. I. I want to get into the to the um, the some of some of the foundational issues around rural hospitals, right? Funding and all that. And I, cause I know there's, I know there are some, some really cool programs that people just aren't aware of, but before we do that, I do I want to go back to your mentor, Robin, because it sounds like you've, you've spoken so highly of her and the cold call and just the way she approached (laughs) it, dropping whatever curse word she dropped. I love. Um, So, so talk to me about asking for help, right? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that. And at least in my career, I've talked about this with a lot of different women. I'm always like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, like, please help me. Uh, and, and it's always, there's always been someone that's willing to say, even if it's just like a little thing, like do this or do that or, or you know, whatever. Um, so talking about that and talking about your relationship with Robin and, and how that's helped you. She's my yang to my yin,
2: because <laughs> we are on so many different things. We're in such polar opposites. Uh, but, you know, I'm just so grateful that she did that. And I've told her before, you know, there were some people that I've called even after calling her, who would not help me. Hmm. And they were female um, lady bosses in the industry. And for whatever reason, they just chose not to extend any help or to respond to emails. And you know, that was really hard for me. Hmm. I tried to understand why, because I'm, uh, I've always practiced, someone needs help, let's try to help them to the best of our ability. But uh, Robin is a very bold person. Uh, She usually tells it like it is. And I do like that because you know exactly where she stands. But she had turned this hospital around uh, 12 years ago. And she said, oh my God, Angela, I'm looking at a mirror of myself where I was 10 years ago. You are exactly where I was in so many things. And, you know, we started the relationship and then we would talk about once a week. And then after about our second month of us talking, she never responded to my text messages or emails. I'm like, what is going on? So I sent her a text message and I said, Robin, say, yes, if you're alive, no, if you're dead, and I'll leave you alone. (laughs) And um, she called me like 10 seconds later. I remember I was driving to work and she said, I must have a hole in my head because I have an idea that's going to save your hospital, but I have no idea why I'm doing it. I said, I call it divine, divine intervention. And she's like, cuts and, <laughs> call it the blank, whatever you want, but this is what we're going to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we have started the relationship and I've learned from her a great deal more than she's learned from me, but we share ideas. If I come across um, um, a new bill or uh, a great vendor who I think could save them the money, I send it to them. And so we've collaborated on different things. And there are some times that I'll call her and I say, look, I've got a problem with something in my community. And she goes, Angela, are you a CEO or are you a damn social worker?
1: (laughs) I would like to meet Robin. Oh, my
2: goodness. (laughs) And I said, I'm both. I said, I am whatever this hospital and community needs me to be. And I said, instead of us being a facility, my camera's shaking all the time. I don't know why. Sorry. But um, instead of us just being a, a hub where people go to seek treatment, why don't we go out and see if we can prevent things. Mm. And so we've had these conversations and, um, and uh, I talked to her about uh, some of the mission trips I do in Honduras and said, Robin, I really want you to go with me. And she's like, H, no, I'll give you some money, but I'm not going, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she's done some phenomenal work and um, I hope to be at least half the success that she has um, been. And she continues to do it. It's like she comes up with these ideas that are amazing and a lot of people don't know how to take her mm. because like I said before she's abrupt um, she's gone through the hallway and she's asked a question and people go I don't know she goes, how the hell do you still have a job <laughs> it's like, she's just that kind of blunt person and then she's also the person who when she finds out your pet dies she'll secretly try to buy another one for you oh. or um, <laughs> to take care of you um, she's a farmer part-time. So whenever she leaves work, she has this uh, sheep farm and, and in a really hard day, so you know what, Robin, I'm going to take up farming. I'm going to grow vegetables and to sell vegetables at a roadside stand. She said, no, you won't. You're, mm, <laughs> you're not going to do that. But um, our relationship um, has proven to people that you can share and there's going to be just as much success for you as there is for her. Now, this is not a duplication of what she does. We've replicated it. So it's a little bit different. Mm. And it's not a cookie cutter fix. So just because someone is successful in one thing doesn't mean you're a failure if you can't do it here. And I realized that um, we live in a different part of Georgia. We serve a different population. So not everything's going to work the same for me, but that we can celebrate. And I'm big on celebrating. Um, any female CEO that I come in contact with and I keep up with them on LinkedIn or Facebook and I see that they receive accreditation or receive an award, they might receive a bouquet of flowers for me yeah. or a gift and say, way to go. I am so proud of you. And I believe that there is just so much criticism in the world that people are just so shocked to receive a bit of kindness. They
1: really don't know how to react to that.
2: Yeah. I just want to celebrate you. I just want to say good job and, you know, keep it moving forward. Great job. Do it.
1: Oh my gosh, I, I I love that, and I well I love I love a lot of I love all the things, right? I I love I love that you have this relationship with with Robert. And what hospital is she from again? I'm not Miller sure. Miller County. Miller County. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love that. I, I she sounds like a, a total lady boss. We should interview her too. <laughs> yes, um, but but, her. <laughs> but 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 so I I I like this. So I I, I love network. I love networking, and, and I love like really having like true authentic networks. And and so I'm really interested in what you're saying about like yeah, sending yeah, setting people flowers. Or like hey, I am like genuinely interested in 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 what you're doing. And I think that's awesome. And because I think that, you know, when you reach a certain level, and, and you kind of alluded a little bit to this, but the lonely at the top type of syndrome, right? It's lonely at the top, right? And you all of a sudden don't have many peers. And that's hard. And that's hard as you move through management levels in general, but it's really hard when you're the CEO of something. Uh, and so I, I love that you've still created this this network. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with these Lady Boss interviews too, right? It's like, hey, there are lots of people out there. We were doing awesome stuff and kicking butt and they have the same problems and like we should all hang out. We should. <laughs> um, cocktail party. Um, I mean, should... I'm like totally down with that. So yeah. Um, I... And
2: you know, we went from, okay, remember I told you second board meeting hospitals going to close
1: to where in November yeah. 2020 we're featured in time magazine. Right. So, so talk about that. So like, what, what did that, so just tell me about the time article and then, and then what did it do? What did it do for you? And what did it do for the hospital?
2: Um. Oh my gosh. So I, I'm still in shock. I, I still haven't read the article. I'm so comfortable with that kind of um, attention, but um. So it had gotten out some of the success stories of uh, the collaboration partnership between Robin and I. So um, I was invited to go present. Robin and I were to uh, a journalist at a Kaiser. Um, journalist Foundation. Mm. So Robin and I go. I didn't. I didn't know what it was. And we walk into this room in Atlanta, and there is this like U shaped table of journalists. And I was like, Robin, I would have worn. I would have dressed better. And she's like, You know, I don't give a crap. <laughs> but um, yeah, Politico mag magazine, Atlanta Journal oh. Constitution, the LA Times. I mean, there's this team of journalists there and I was like, oh my gosh. And so they were interested in our story and about saving rule and um, what can be done. And then after that meeting, I happened to have a phone call from a journalist who did some freelance for time. And he said, I'm really interested in your story and Mm I want to know if we can um, write about you. And I was like, "Uh, me? You shared us about me? And I was just so blown away. Mm. Uh, this favor that I have received from people and I don't know, I don't deserve it. And I'm just amazed by that, but I took it as an opportunity to share the hard work of the people in my organization because they deserve a hundred rounds of applause, but to shed light on um, rural hospitals and what we do. So he came down spent the day. They sent this fancy time magazine photographer in and then the pandemic hit. And then I think they almost shelved the story. Mm. and then max reached back out and he said hey we're revisiting it. i really want my editors to um, publish it why do you think we should and i said i think you should because all of the work that is talked about or that you interviewed me in that article prepared us for this pandemic so um i want to tell the, everyone that sometimes you don't know why you're doing something or going through something but it's preparing you for something in the future you just have to mm-hmm take the lesson from it. So November 2020, it comes out and um, bam, it just blows up and is very uncomfortable for me um, mm. to share that and to send it to my friends and family because I brace myself for criticism um, because not everyone is happy for you when you succeed. That's and, correct. Um, and there's a lot of people who just knew me from work. They didn't know the struggles I had gone through personally or um, the hard work it takes to get to a position like this. And so I did, I braced myself for the onslaught of um, criticism and I got them. Hmm. And it was very hard to hear them. And um, it was very hard to receive some of them, but you know, I've gotten better at letting things slide off my back and not worry about it. So I'm hoping that people can see that rural hospitals are important. um, And that if they ever think about investing or helping um, a hospital to, yeah. He's a hospital. Listen, that's, listen, let's, so that's trying let's to make talk, differences. Let's yeah,
1: talk, let's talk about that because I think that um, I, I, well, that Time article as well. I think and and what you're saying, and I think we've seen it in the pandemic that um, a lot of these smaller hospitals, critical access hospitals. I mean, the reason they're called critical access is for a reason, right? Um, <laughs> they are they are a key part of the community. They're typically there's not a lot of access around, and in the pandemic, that was that was kind of a pretty big deal, right? and the the other side of that is is we know that um in a lot of cases uh funding isn't always available right and and you were wow. saying that your hospital was almost on the verge of, sh- of closure mm-hmm. and the pandemic hit there wasn't a lot of money right away um but but you you are again being tenacious in your fight to find additional funding to help your hospitals succeed and i you were telling me about something that totally blew me away just about these these programs that people don't know about
2: yeah yeah so um uh, Georgia realized that Uh, Critical access hospitals, rural hospitals were, uh, it was a pandemic. The closures were a pandemic that were happening among us. So they set aside $60 million from your Mm. state budget for people who wish to invest in a hospital. And I say invest, and it's really hard uh, for me to explain this. So it's a tax credit. It's called mm. the Georgia Heart Tax Credit. So, if you would like to make a donation to Clinchmore Hospital or to any of the hospitals that are on the approved list, you can make a donation of your tax liability and receive a dollar for dollar tax credit. The state of Georgia recognizes that as you pay in your taxes. Mm. So, it's not like them getting your tax refund or whatever. So, you can meet with your accountant and he says, okay, your tax liability is $1,800. That's what it's been for the last several years. It's what it's going to be this year. You can go onto the Georgia Heart website, make an application, choose the hospital you want to donate to, and they'll um, do the application for you. And the state of Georgia says, okay, you paid your taxes. Hmm. Dude, that's like,
1: you told me that, and I was like, "What?" Like, it's crazy. And what what bumps me out is there there are programs like that out there, right? And people yes. just don't know about it. And and instead, you're just you know, you're just like you send your your you click TurboTax and just send it send it off to the state. And you're like, yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, no. And I know you're trying to get the word out about that. So I I I love that. And I I know you could have, you've what's your goal for this year? Because I know you were talking about you have you have, you told your board you have a big goal to get people to be aware of these <laughs> programs. Did.
2: So each hospital is eligible; uh, can receive up to four million dollars, and I don't think there has been very many hospitals to receive that. Last year, we received about one hundred and seventy-eight thousand dollars, which is Mm. not a lot, but it was the pandemic. I would love to get the four million because I, (laughs) yeah. There are most of our donors have come from people in Atlanta who have never set foot in our door. Who Mm. get it? Who believe in it? Who understand this is a dollar for dollar tax credit? And just because you live in Atlanta doesn't mean that you can't save rural, rural Georgia and um, the people here and the population here. It takes almost the entire bottom half of Georgia in agriculture to feed that dense population in Atlanta.
1: Really? Mm. Yes.
2: So when you think about what surrounds us, um, it's very important for us to stay, uh, open, but you know, people buy Tom shoes because they believe that a pair of shoes is going to go to someone in Africa and they support a cow in a foreign country. This is the state of Georgia. If you live in Georgia, you can help keep a hospital open by giving to the hospital of your choice. And it's a tax credit. Mm. It's not a charitable donation. It's not a deduction. It's a dollar for dollar tax credit. Yeah. I'm so grateful for those Atlanta residents who believe in us year after year and continue to donate and even in um, Valdosta and surrounding and people here. But there are so many companies that don't even know about this program and so many people who want to do good and to pay it forward and to help um, people stay employed. And this is a great way of doing that.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. I, I, I... We, we have to find a way to help get that word out, uh, especially as tax season was extended slightly. <laughs> for sure, yeah, I'm right grateful for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, me, me too. I mean, so I, I'll say for anyone who is like me and waits till the absolute last minute to submit their taxes, I mean, let, let's all let's all look into this because that seems like a great option. Um, well, so so with the few minutes we have left, Angela, I I want to talk. So okay, so you know, you you talk. You, you said it was hard, right? That the the change and, and getting into leadership and all those struggles you dealt with. Um, but, but I I feel like, so we're kind of missing the nugget of like how you did it, right? Like I I know, you know, you, you, you worked with, with your mentor, Robin, and and you uh, replicated, not duplicated, right? And you found things that worked, but that is some serious change management and some serious leadership to get people through that. So is it, can you share anything about that experience? Did you, did you use any specific um, process or were were you just winging it and seeing what worked?
2: Sometimes I we we didn't see what works, but I was very open and honest and transparent with my staff. I, I think I had a, um, I believe earlier on I had a mandatory meeting with everybody. Mm-hmm. The employees in this said, as long as we worked here, we haven't had something like this. And, um, you know, we were pinching every penny and I had to have a hard conversation with everyone in that room. And I said, I know a lot of you are upset because I stopped the raises, I've increased some in prices in our cafeteria and um, you think this is unfair. I said, but I had to let you know, my own employees owe this hospital 150 something thousand dollars in hospital Ooh. bills. And I said, how can you expect me to keep this hospital alive Or ask community for a dollar when you can't even pay your employer what you owe them. Wow. And um, I said, so this is the reality of things. I said, there are some people that um, need to come and settle up with me. I said, but the only way that we're going to be a success is if we're honest with each other. And if we all do our part, and that means you're going to have to work a little bit harder. You're going to have to change right now your mindset because we can't continue to do the same things and survive and one of the people used to say all the time when I would ask questions until like I went to my office and just hit my head we've all but we've always done it that way because I would say <laughs> why are we doing this we've always done it that way I'm like oh my god because he might not googled you know uh some things to see if we're current and um I had to make some hard decisions I had to <laughs> let some people go who had been here for a very long time um we had to work hard and I found a core group of people that I knew I could trust because it's very hard to trust people um, It's hard to let your guard down and be vulnerable but I've had to apologize to people before um, I've had to say I'm sorry for
1: saying the S word in a meeting I'm like, <laughs> you, know, you just listen uh, I just want to say Angela I'm gonna I'm not gonna have to clip on any curse words here because of how you're <laughs> you're um, uh, censoring yourself so I just I appreciate that
2: <laughs> so you know, I've had to go back and say I was wrong. And I need your forgiveness for that. But finding that core group of people, praising them and giving them as much tools as they possibly can, because, you know, uh, other people are like, we have to cut back. We have to cut back. We can't do coaching. We can't do marketing. I'm like, Mm. what What do you mean? What do you mean? If you have $2, you spend a dollar on PR and marketing. How How does the community know about us if we don't get it out there? I mean, and if we don't invest in our staff, we don't get a return on investment. So I believe in life coaching, you go to this conference, you network with people that um, hold the same position as you and you can validate. Am I doing the right thing? Okay, great. There's validation or maybe I need to step up my game more. Right. But um, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work for my staff. Um, But I just feel like The doors of heaven opened, he gave me exactly who I needed. And most of those core people are still here. And um, a lot of people say, oh, you're a a healthcare pirate. But I'm not. I have had people in my career as a manager, if I've left, they said, I'm going wherever you're going. Hmm. Because I believe in you. And um, I know that no one is going to treat me fairer than you. And people say I'm tough, but I'm fair, which I appreciate that. Because I'm not going to expect from you anything different than somebody else. And so I've had people follow me in my career path. And I trust them. And I trust their work. And they trust me. And, you know, we can be mad at each other. In the day, we still care about each other. And we just it out. We're good now. But um, changing culture does not happen overnight. So if there's anybody out there who's 90 days in a job, uh, half a year or a year, sometimes it can take three years. Right, but the thing that I learned is that maybe regret that I have is not letting go people go sooner. I give yeah. them too many chances because I'm like, okay, let's give them one more chance. Let's do one more performance improvement plan. And really, that is a waste of my time. That is a waste of their time, and it's really unfair to everybody else who is kicking tail every single day. So I've learned in the first 90 days, you set those goals. They're not reaching those goals, honey. They're not going to reach it in six months. Mm. It in Ninety days. And um, I've learned to create short contracts and an easy out. If vendors promise a lot and they don't deliver, I will cancel that contract. I love love um, that.
1: I love that. Yes. Yeah, I, I think I think that's so. I was just interviewing um, uh, for for this TV show, uh, Dr. Jamie Bland, who is the CEO of the Sync Health, which is a health data utility for the Midwest for multiple states in the Midwest, and she said the same thing. She said, and, and it's actually very similar lessons like that that you would that you would teach yourself. And um, hers one was, you know, it's not always about you, right? So to your point, you know, sometimes that criticism isn't about you, right? It's just you are in the leadership position. And the other was uh, hire hire slow and fire fast. Right. It's 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 very yes. difficult to make people fit when you just know that it's it's not gonna be a fit. And sometimes they know that too. So
0: I
2: yeah, think that I had a I had a conversation with this vendor because I wrote it and you know there was an out five months, and if we're not meeting eye to eye, it can just be an out regardless of reason. Mm. And I'm like, I can't believe I, I'm gonna do better, I promise. And I said, honey, this is just like dating. When you date, you show up looking your best, <laughs> you cater, you're nice, you're charming. That's what you do right out of the gate. And you, see, you can do that right in the game. You are your worst performance. And then you think can give you a chance to do better. It does not work like
1: that. Oh, my goodness. I <laughs> no. love that. I love you. I want to follow you. Let me, <laughs> I think that's awesome. But I think, I think the key about your personality and, you know, the whole leadership thing and the change management was, it sounds like you, you, you are tough, right? You're direct, but you were transparent and you were consistent. Right. So people, people knew where they were going with you and they, they probably knew that where they stood with you at all times. Right. It wasn't, there were, there weren't a lot of honeys and sweeties and you know, whatever, but, um, but it sounds like, it sounds like you were an effective leader. Yeah, I, I try and there, I'm not going to win it all. There's some people, it doesn't matter what I've done
2: for them. If right. we've had a part ways, you know, I'm the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And there's all these lies and I have been the center of so many Facebook Closed books of get rid of the CEO, let's join really? the boardroom because whatever.
1: But, <laughs> but well, you know, yeah. as the great Miriam Paramore said in one of our <laughs> previous episodes, there's always going to be someone who doesn't like you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> (laughs)
2: and this belief that you can't get close to your subordinates or you can't be friends and learn I I think that's not true I do believe that you need to be careful and create some boundaries but there's no way of knowing if someone's struggling or what you can do to help someone and you never know what a handwritten note does for somebody oh yeah people just are just so blown away by uh, rec- thank you for showing up every day and giving your best. I think it's so important. The little things count and add up to a lot.
1: They um, really do. And, and I, I agree with your point as well. Uh, you know, there's that, that is like the, the, the common, the common theme, right? Don't, don't be friends with subordinates and um, you know, it is lonely at the top and it's always going to be lonely because like you said, there are boundaries and you can't share everything with everyone. Um, but I've always believed that I've created healthier teams by having an ear to the ground and And knowing when someone's not happy, um, because if you don't give them the opportunity, if you're not accessible enough for them to tell you that they're hurting or something's wrong, then you can't fix it, right? so i'm I'm totally on board with that too. I think I think that paradigm needs to shift a little bit. I think it's yes. pretty old school.
2: Mm. Absolutely. I know, and sometimes people go, well, I need your advice. And somebody goes, why are you asking me? And they're like, well, you're... I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I'm the <a> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think about that. I'm, I'm just Angela. I'm just here to do a job. And I try to do the best job for my board members, for my bosses, and for my employees. I just... Mm. I just want to make sure that um, this hospital stays open, so yeah. I'm committed to doing that. But uh, you know, this CEO is not gone to my head because, you know, like I told you, to suffer greatly from.
0: <laughs> You're
2: a very real like, person, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I at home. I've done Zoom meetings with pajama bottoms on, you know, and uh, made a couple mistakes and bombed in class and tripped over myself and been an embarrassment in a board meeting or a presentation, but you know what? You just get up and you just try harder the next day. That's right.
1: You get up. Right. I think that I think that's been that's been the key, at least to my career is I just have to keep getting up. Um, and it does get better if I try. So so Angela, we've been talking for like a full hour, which I love. And I feel like we like can talk for like two hours or like six. Um, but but tell, any any parting words, Any anything you'd want to share with like other lady bosses and aspiring lady bosses out there. I feel like you've dropped like so much knowledge. We should write a book. But uh, what, what do you have?
2: keep at it. Um, You're going to survive um, today, just like you survived every other day. And you know what? Be the first to apologize, but stand your ground and um, always surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. They're going to make you look really good. We need to do that. (laughs)
1: And network. 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 I I agree.
0: I agree. Yeah. Just call someone up. I love it. Well, thank you, Angela. This has been super fun. We hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did, and we hope to continue finding creative ways to connect and celebrate each other. If you're on Clubhouse, you can find me and Sharice there every Tuesday and Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific time in the Hit Like a Girl pod club room, which is new. All right. In the meantime, be well. Talk soon.